wicked, 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 wicked. Get down to business. I don't got no time to play around for this. This is Wicket's World with Mike Wicket on 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. On a Friday, happy Friday to you. You're driving around in Des Moines listening to us on 1021 FM or 1350 ESPN Des Moines. If you're watching on the ESPN Des Moines Facebook page, what is going on? My name is Mike Wicket. Coming up uh, with all of the football going on, I do. there are two interesting stories in baseball that I want to get to. And it, one of them has to do with the fact that if I would was able to get into Doc Brown's time machine and go back, say, 10 years or so, heck, even 20 years, and told you about Las Vegas and pro sports, you would have thought I was crazy. Especially for the team, what are the, you know, the NFL team they have there now. But as it looks like, uh, one of the Major League Baseball teams is eyeing the Trop and not the one they've got in Tampa. The old Tropicana as a spot for a new stadium. I'll tell you about that coming up in just a bit. Also, uh, for those that are here in Des Moines, and if you're a fan of minor league baseball at, at, at any level, this is something that is going to be a real game changer in the major leagues coming up in just a few years, depending on how successful this upcoming AAA season is. But it is NFL Super Wild Card Weekend. There are six games to talk about. And before I get to the, I'm just going to kind of go through them because I am so excited. I am jacked up for Super Wild Card Weekend. And the fact that we call it Super Wild Card Weekend is ridiculous, but that's what we call it. We call it Super Wild Card Weekend. Uh, I don't like the fact that we have two, three, and one. I wish we had three tomorrow, three on Sunday, and that was it. But we get two tomorrow, three on Sunday, and then the one, the Monday nighter, which is still fine. Like, I, you know, just means one less night of hanging out with my wife. So I get to watch more football, which is always good. And I think if you're a football fan, you love that. Whether you're a better or you just like to watch, I'm in a big squares pool for the entire NFL season or postseason. And the big story, some big news came out in the NFL today. The all-pro teams are out. I'll run through some of your favorite teams, especially from the big five fan bases we have here in Des Moines. But the big news that came down about an hour ago, If you are a fan of the Los Angeles Chargers, or you're just a fan of criticizing head coaches, well, then this is the story for you. All right? This is it. Los Angeles Chargers wide receiver Mike Williams has been downgraded to out against the Jacksonville Jaguars because he was injured in a meaningless, and I mean meaningless, Week 18 game last Sunday. Chargers, Broncos, Denver beats L.A. 31-28. If the Chargers would have won that game, they'd be the five seed. Because they lost that game, they're the five seed. You see what I'm getting at? And they knew this going in. It wasn't like one of those where like they played it and whatever happened later on Sunday Night Football. No, no, no. Not, not at all. What happened in that Chargers-Broncos game had zero effect on the seeding of Brandon Staley, Justin Herbert, and the rest of the L.A. Chargers. It didn't matter. They were going to be the five seed. And I couldn't figure out why when I turned that game on or when Red Zone went to that game. There's Herbert. There's Austin Eckler. There's Keenan Allen. There's Mike Williams. Oh, Mike Williams. Now he has a back injury. He's been listed as questionable all week. He is staying in L.A. to continue treatment for the back injury. And I just read right before we came on, 
Unless the Chargers go to the Super Bowl, Mike Williams' season is done. It's a non-surgical back, like, fractural thing that just, they can rehab it over, like, three weeks. He is done for the year. And I don't know how much money you're putting on the Chargers to go to the Super Bowl without Mike Williams. Heck, I don't know how much money you're putting on the Chargers to go to the Super Bowl with Mike Williams. But I don't know how much you're going to put on him now. He led the Chargers in receiving. He was your team's best statistical receiver. I know Keenan Allen is the better wide receiver. But Mike Williams caught 63 passes for 895 and four touchdowns in 13 games. You already know. That's another thing, too. 13 games. The knock on Mike Williams, heck, the knock on both receivers for the Chargers, as you know, if you're a football fan, is that they're both injury prone. All right? Tremendous talent. Mike Williams is a freak of an athlete. Tremendous talent. Keenan Allen might be a top five wide receiver in the NFL, but they both get banged up a lot. Why in the world with nothing on the line, and I mean nothing on the line, are you playing anybody who is a worthy starter, a Pro Bowl caliber player in a meaningless game against Denver the last week of the season? Keyshawn Johnson from ESPN Radio agrees. You don't need him in the game. Take him out the game. It does nothing for you at the fifth seed. You're not going to move up. You're not going to move down. And then you take a chance on getting guys hurt that like Williams, who you need in the postseason. You have to have him in the lineup to be successful to try to make it to the Super Bowl. But you're such a smarty pants, right? <laughs> Bosa was playing. They had to take Bosa out the game. Mike Williams was playing. He he missed the rest of the game had to be carted off. I mean, when you start to look at this, you start to say, man, what is this dude doing? As I've always said, if the Chargers screw it up, it's not because of the players. It's because of the head coach. And guess what? He was trying to screw it up yesterday. Sean Payton is lurking, by the way, to take over that job. You imagine Sean Payton and his offensive genius in L.A. where he The rumor is Sean Payton wants to stay in L.A. You imagine Sean Payton with Justin Herbert and Austin Eckler and Keenan Allen, healthy. Mike Williams, healthy. That offense, healthy. With Sean Payton, as opposed to Brandon Staley and whatever they've got going on. Brandon Staley and Dan Campbell of the Lions are the two coaches that make the most, that take the most risks, that take the most gam, most gambles. And and say what you want about the you know the season for the Lions. It was bad at first. It got a lot better, and they closed it out in Sunday Night Football. Brandon Staley has been doing this for several years where everyone believes that this is the year, this is the year, this is the year the Chargers are going to take that next leap, that next step. They're going to ascend. They're going to challenge the Chiefs in the AFC West. And what happens? Brandon Staley screws it up. There's no reason for Mike Williams to be on that field. There's no reason for Austin Eckler or Bosa or Herbert to be on that field. So why? Why did he keep his guys in there? Did he even start these guys? Let's hear from Brandon Staley after last Sunday's loss. We were trying to compete in the game, and we only have 48 guys on the team that are active for the game. And so uh, we wanted to make sure that they went um, a good ways in this football game and competed at a high level. And then when we felt like it was right for them to get out of the game, then that's what we were going to do, slowly phase them out um, so that we get them ready for next week. There are 10 wide receivers on the Chargers active roster, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you I know how healthy every one of the Chargers wide receivers are because I have no idea, all right? But there are no wide receivers on that roster more important than Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. 
which leaves you eight. Let's say two of them are injured. Sure, they might be. And even if there's only three available wide receivers, play those wide receivers. Why in the hell are you playing your two most valuable commodities in a game that cannot help them? That question was asked, along with why he himself was was actually playing in this game, to quarterback Justin Herbert. Yeah, it's a good question. I think uh, it was up to the front office. It was up to Coach Staley. Um, and whatever they decided for our offense, for our defense, um, I was going to be on board with 100%. It's a great company line. It's a great company line. It's a wonderful, well, we're, we go, it's it, the, the, guy, the GM, the coach, these guys make the decisions. And, you know, we're not going to. We are in an era of player empowerment. All right? We, we, we saw what happened with the Bills and the Bengals when the so-called five-minute rule was coming down on Monday Night Football. And the players are like, no, we're not playing. And the coaches are like, okay, that's fine. Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler, Justin Herbert, Bosa, anybody who is significant to the start, to, to the playoff run for the Chargers, should have said, Coach, my toe hurts. I'm going to sit this one out. Oh, I got, I got a hip. I need one game off, Coach. The only reason for these guys to play, and I don't, maybe this is the reason these guys actually played, is to hit incentives. I don't know what Mike Williams' contract looks like in terms of X amount of coaches, or catches, excuse me. But he finished the year with 63 passes, uh, 63 receptions, 895 yards, four touchdowns. Maybe he had to get to 1,000 for another half million dollar bonus. Maybe it, it had, maybe 63 balls, maybe he had to get to 70 to get to another half-million-dollar bonus. These guys are driven by money. And maybe they went to Coach and said, here's what I want to do. I want to play. Coach, like I remember last year, there's a famous clip of Rob Gronkowski talking to Tom Brady. And he's like, I'm three shy. And Brady, who was done for the game, put his helmet back on and went in the game because he wanted to get Gronk his half-million or three-quarter-million-dollar bonus catching three more balls. Boom, boom, boom. Gronk and Brady come out of the game. I understand that there are incentives and there are dollars and there, there's a lot of money at stake. And I don't live in that world. I don't live in the, well, if I catch three more passes, I get $750,000 world. That's not a world I'll ever know, okay? If I work 10 more years, I might make three, nope, longer than that. Anyway, there's no reason for this. And now the Chargers are going to have to play the rest of the way without Mike Williams. He's out for the year. He's out two to three weeks, which is wildcard weekend, divisional weekend, championship weekend, then the week off, then the Super Bowl. And if you're going to bet on the Chargers going to the Super Bowl, I want to be in your gambling circles, okay? Because this was this is going to be the death nail for Brandon Staley if they lose at Jacksonville. And they very, mel- very may well lose at Jacksonville. Jags are coming, man. They didn't look great last Saturday night when they played against Tennessee, but Tennessee's defense is fantastic. Chargers' defense, also good. Don't get me wrong. Bosa banged up. I I think he's going to play. I I, I don't know. But that dude is banged up. Derwin James has not been healthy. And the, the Jags are playing at home. You do not just walk into Duval County, all right? You don't just go down to that stadium that usually half-full stadium where they got hot tubs up in the rafters and walk out with a victory. 
All 15 Jaguars fans are going to be fired up for this one, wearing their newly purchased teal jerseys they got from Walmart on the way to the game. All right, those passionate Jags fans. That's going to be a thing. He is out for this. I cannot believe he is out for the rest of the year. All because Brandon Staley, who makes boneheaded decision after boneheaded decision, decided we got we're going to we're going to be competitive in that game. And again, the only reason I can see them being allowed to play or convincing Staley to play them is because of money. If they had to hit, and I don't have Mike Williams' contract in front of me. It very well may be that that's the answer. But we don't know. Maybe we won't know. That's not the answer we got from Staley, and that's never going to be the answer we get from Staley. Oh, I put those guys out there so they could all make an extra million dollars. You bench Herbert. You bench Eckler. You let, who's the backup in L.A.? Easton Stick. Whoever Easton Stick is. I look up who the other backup is. My page cut off. But you let Larry Roundtree and Josh Kelly carry the ball and Isaiah Spiller and Xander Horvath. You do what the Bears did, right? You bench every. You do what the Vikings did. The Vikings are on their way to the playoffs. You're not going to risk Kirk Cousins. You're not going to risk Justin Jefferson in that game. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. All right. A lot of other games to get to. Five more games to talk about, including the hottest jersey in the National Football League that isn't DeMar Hamlin. So the second hottest jersey. If you're an Iowa State fan, you're going to want to hear this. Wicket needs a timeout. He'll be back soon. You're listening to 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. One zero two one FM and thirteen fifty ESPN Des Moines. This is Wicket's World. My name is Mike Wicket. Something that's going to completely change baseball is going to get started very, very soon in AAA. And I'm trying to find out if anybody knows anybody at the Iowa Cubs. Uh, I, I shoot me a tweet at Mike Wicket or at ESPN DSM. Which version? Of the electronic strike zone are the iCubs going to go with? I'll talk more about that and explain coming up in a bit. If anybody knows the the, the awesome people at the iCubs over at Principal Park, uh, shoot me a tweet or text. I'd love to know which version they're going to go with. So the first game of the playoffs is tomorrow afternoon. It is the uh, Seahawks and the Niners. This should be a blowout. I hope it's not. I hope Seattle can keep this one close. But with all the firepower, that the 49ers have. You don't expect this game to be close. What's the spread in this one? Niners are a nine-point favorite. They're not the biggest spread of the weekend, I don't think. That would be Buffalo going up against a rookie quarterback. Bengals are a nine-and-a-half. Okay, so they're a nine-point favorite at home. They'd be favored if this game was being played in front of the 12s. Here's something you may or may not believe. The number one selling jersey in the, in the NFL this year, no surprise, DeMar Hamlin. With the Buffalo Bills uh, defensive back went through and the support. Josh Allen is two. Trevor Lawrence, third. Uh, this is according to the Fanatics, by the way. Micah Parsons, Joe Burrow, Christian McCaffrey, Niners Christian McCaffrey, Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts. I'm going to skip nine. And then 10 was Justin Jefferson. So those are, your, those are nine of your top 10 highest selling jerseys week by week. And for a lot of the year, Josh Allen was number one. And for a lot of the year, Jimmy Garoppolo or Trey Lance was your starting quarterback in San Francisco. Six weeks ago, this kid Brock Purdy takes over. 
Iowa State fans, you know, if you're here in the state of Iowa, all about Brock Purdy. Record-setting quarterback, greatest quarterback in the history of the Cyclones. Brock Purdy's 49ers jersey finished as the ninth best-selling jersey in the National Football League. That is amazing to me. The ninth best-selling jersey in the NFL. It's not Aaron Rodgers. It's not Justin Herbert. All right? It's not Stephon Diggs. The ninth best-selling jersey for the year. It's not Tom Brady. It's Brock Purdy. That is amazing to me. For a guy who is Mr. Irrelevant, who, if you would have put money on him starting any games this year or winning games or being, I think, pro football talks rookie of the year, offensive rookie of the year, you would be a rich person. Because Purdy and the Niners now, I think, are the trendy pick out of the NFC. The one seed is Philadelphia. People are a little bit worried about the injury situation and you know Jalen Hurts throwing arm. But you look at what Purdy has done, the numbers he has put up, and I don't have them exactly in front of me, but they've been ridiculous, like a 7-to-1 touchdown to interception ratio or something along those lines. They keep winning games. And now here they are at home, 9.5-point favorite over the Seattle Seahawks. And, and, and Purdy's talking like a pro already. I mean, Fred said it really well at practice yesterday. He's like, man, you should feel this, you know, this feeling in your gut you know of man we're in we're in playoffs it matters obviously every single day every meeting every minute matters um so like there's a good vibe right now going on you know obviously at practice in the locker room so feels good it's good energy um we just got to translate it onto the field and and be detailed with everything because everything matters so um but all the guys are really juiced up he's talking about fred warner is, is all pro linebacker telling him you should feel what's going on here i mean this the 49ers are a heck of a story and Maybe I should get my buddy Grant Cohn on, who covers the Niners for Sports Illustrated sometime. Uh, San Francisco, when they lost Trey Lance, how fortunate were they? We all thought, how fortunate were they that they kept Jimmy Garoppolo or that nobody wanted Jimmy Garoppolo, right? Because, gosh, they would have had to turn to this seventh-round pick out of Iowa State and Brock Purdy. There's no way they can win games with Brock Purdy. They, they go with, with Garoppolo. They make the huge in-season trade. They go all in to bring in Christian McCaffrey, which takes a lot of pressure off of Jimmy Garoppolo at that time. And then when Garoppolo goes down, it's like, well, what can Purdy do? What can Purdy do? And he comes in relief, and he looked pretty good. Threw a touchdown and a pick, I believe, at his first relief appearance. I think his first touchdown pass was to George Kittle, Iowa, Iowa State connection there. It's kind of cool, right? And then he goes on to have the year that he's had. And here's San Francisco at 13 and four. And I think if you were to ask people who's going to win the NFC, odds are a lot of people are going to be picking the San Francisco 49ers with all the weapons they have with Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk and McCaffrey and Kittle. And Purdy's getting the job done. And here come the Seattle Seahawks, one of the darlings of the National Football League uh, for most of this season. Nobody expected after the Russell Wilson trade for Seattle to even sniff the playoffs. Well, here they are. They're 9-8. and eight. They cooled off in the second half of the season. But one of the biggest factors has been the play of Geno Smith. And I will bet you that when the trade went down for Russell Wilson, when Denver sent Drew Locke to Seattle, 
more people in Seattle believed that Drew Locke was going to be the starter. And I believe going into camp, Drew Locke was going to be the starter. And Geno Smith, who had a heck of a time coming out of college, second-day pick, New York Jets, that did not work out for him. Never does. It's the Jets. Out to Seattle, Russ's backup, outperforms Drew Locke in the second uh, in in the, uh, the, the in training camp, and went on to throw for four thousand two hundred eighty-two yards and thirty touchdowns. We uh, get another chance, you know, to play. Uh, we get a chance to go fight for a Super Bowl. Uh, obviously, we got a tough opponent, but I think everyone's just locked in. And I've always had that thought process that if I did get an opportunity, that this is where we should be. We know that, you know, we can't just say, oh, we're happy to be in the playoffs. You know, there's more to it. Key to this game to me from Seattle's perspective. I mean, obviously, how is uh, Brock Purdy going to handle playoff pressure? Well, he, luckily, he's got all those weapons I talked about. So, I think San Francisco wins this game. I don't know if nine is enough in this one. But if Seattle can, and I do mean this seriously, if Seattle can figure out a way to run the football with Kenneth Walker, who has been an absolute gem of a find out of uh, Michigan State, both of the first couple of running backs, both Kenneth Walker and Brees Hall, who will be back next year with a healthy ACL, both those guys, studs, studs, early round picks, which does not happen all that often, in the National Football League. One or two guys goes early, first, second round, that you're like, okay, all right. Jonathan Taylor a year ago. This year was Brees Hall early, and then Kenneth Walker late. Kenneth Walker ran for 1,050 yards and didn't get the starting job till like a third of the way into the year. Had nine touchdowns in this game, or in this season, I should say. He is the key to me in this game. If Kenneth Walker can somehow get something going, that will alleviate a lot of the pressure that's going to be on Geno Smith. Now, it's easier said than done because, you know, San Francisco has the best pass defense and the best rush defense in the National Football League. You're facing the best defense in the NFL with this young team, this rebuilding team, with a rookie running back facing against all those monsters on the other side in San Francisco. I mean, Niners, I think, are the easy money line play. Jaguars at home against the Chargers. I, I have no idea what to make of the L.A. Chargers after the Mike Williams injury. They lost to Jacksonville earlier this year. They were embarrassed by Jacksonville earlier this year. Which of these young quarterbacks, Herbert or Trevor, is going to make the, the plays to come out and actually, you know, Herbert or Lawrence, to establish themselves? Talent-wise, I would think that the Chargers should lean on Austin Eckler and hammer the ball down the throat with Eckler and short pass him to death and then take some shots to Keenan Allen. So I will take the Chargers in that one. They're a point-and-a-half favorite on the road. That just feels like a weird, funky line. Dolphins, Bills, shouldn't even be a contest. Should be no contest in this game um, with Skylar Thompson starting at quarterback. If Josh Allen turns the ball over four times, which he's entirely capable of doing, shout-out to Chris, who's watching on the Facebook page, big Bills fan, sent me a message, go Bills. This game should be no contest whatsoever. Giants-Vikings, here's the upset. Giants are going to win this football game. All right, running quarterbacks give the uh, the Vikings defense uh, fits, and I have been wondering. See, I'm a Packers fan. I'm not sure if you realize that. If you ever watched the show, listened to the show before, I'm a Packers fan, and I have been wondering why they don't give the football to Aaron Jones more. He had a career high in rushing yards this year, and seemingly, when you watch the Packers play, didn't get enough touches. 
Saquon Barkley set a career high for all-purpose yards this year. And it feels like if you're a Saquon fan, especially if you had him in fantasy football, he didn't do anything the final five, six weeks of the year, including when they played these Vikings, he had 14 carries. You can argue that Saquon Barkley is the best running back in football. Now, he gets his six catches a game, so it's a total of 20, and he's a guy who has an injury history. So I understand you're not going to run the ball with this guy 30, 40 times a game. Well, 25, 30 times a game, let's be real. But he is the guy I want to give the football to. With all due respect to Daniel Jones and Richie James, I'd rather give the ball to Saquon. I expect him to get more than 14 carries against Minnesota. And don't forget, the Vikings, I mean, the Vikings, they needed a 61-yard field goal at the end of the game, the longest in team history, to beat New York in this same building they're playing in tomorrow afternoon or on Sunday afternoon. I, I think the Giants, that's the upset of the weekend, I think. It's a trendy pick. A lot of people are going with that. I think primetime Kirk's going to show up. I think the, the, the choke job Vikings are going to show up. The frauds that they are. I think this is going to be a Giants win. And I'll eat crow next week if I'm wrong. I, usually, I, always, I always own up to being wrong, and I rarely gloat when I'm right. Ravens-Bengals, no contest. No Lamar. Although the Ravens' defense, ever since the trade has happened, ever since the trade of Roquan Smith from Chicago to Baltimore has happened, Baltimore has had the best defense in the National Football League. And they just paid that guy huge contract, totally worth it. I'm really jealous. I wish the Packers would have moved up to draft him about five years ago. Maybe the best middle linebacker or one of the best off-the-ball linebackers in the National Football League. But they're starting Tyler Huntley. And I, I could talk about Lamar Jackson for like 20 minutes here. But Lamar Jackson, who wants Deshaun Watson guaranteed money, has now gone two straight years where he has not been able to finish the season. And last year, when he couldn't finish the season, the Ravens lost every game that he missed. I think the final seven. This season with Lamar, I think they've won two since he's been out. But if you're going to pay a guy who's, I don't want to say the, his primary weapon is his legs, but let's be honest, Lamar's a much better runner than he is a passer. If you're going to pay a guy $250 million, you better be able to finish a season for you. And Lamar has not been able to finish the last two years while whining about a contract. You franchise him, you see if he can finish the year out, and maybe you overspend a year from now. Meanwhile, for the Bengals, I, I just think that this Bengals team is the one people are not talking about. Everybody's talking about the Chiefs. They're the one seed. Everybody's talking about the Bills. Everybody's Super Bowl favorite for a lot of the year. But the Bengals, who are your defending AFC champions, with Burrow, who is an assassin at quarterback, with the best wide receiving core in the NFL, with Chase Higgins and Boyd, Hayden Hurst is an above-average tight end, and Joe Mixon is a hammer. I loved his coin flip celebration that he got fined for last week. I don't love the person that Joe Mixon is, or is but between Mixon and Samarje Pirine, it's a good backfield. Can the O-line hold up? They can at least hold up for one game at home. Bengals win. And then Cowboys and Buccaneers. Oh, them Cowboys. I got some things to tell you about the Cowboys. Plus, we're going to hear from Jerry Jones next. Like ESPN Des Moines on Facebook and watch Wicket's World live in real time. This is 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. 
1021 FM, 1350 ESPN Des Moines. What's up? My name is Mike Wicket. This is Wicket's World. Happy Friday to you. We got Drake basketball all weekend. Is that right, Kara? We got, I know we got Drake men, Drake women. We got the Bulldogs all weekend here on your home for Drake basketball. ESPN Des Moines. Uh, last game to get to before I actually... I, Weirdly going to switch to some baseball news, which I don't normally do here, you know, on the eve of wildcard weekend, but why not? But first, Monday night football. We get one more Monday night game, which Kira, like I told you, gives me one more opportunity not to hang out with my wife. I love my wife, but she hates when there's Monday night football games on because especially if like, Fantasy is involved, and I need a player. I'm going to be watching and drinking. But we get the uh, the Cowboys and the Buccaneers, the 12-5 and Dallas Cowboys, on the road against the 8-9 and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, Tampa did what Brandon Staley should have done, and that was rest starters early. I know Brady played in that game last week for Tampa, but they could not improve their seating. So here we are in the 4-5 matchup. It's Tampa and Dallas, Monday Night Football. What else could you ask for? You get Dallas, America's team. I usually hate saying that, but I just saw a stat yesterday that four of the five most watched football games this year involve the Dallas Cowboys. And I hate that <laughs> because I hate the Cowboys. But I realize that they're always a draw, always a draw. And so you look at this football game coming up between Dallas and Tampa, between America's team and the GOAT, and maybe this is Tom Brady's last go. Maybe it's Tom Brady's last go just in Tampa. We don't know. We're going to find out. All the pressure in the world, I think, is on the Dallas Cowboys here. I don't think there's a ton of pressure on 8-9 and nine Tampa. I think we realize at some point this season that this really isn't that special of a Tampa Bay Buccaneers team. I'm never going to bet against Tom Brady. Like in this game, I'll tell you right now, I'm taking Tampa. They're at home. If this game was in Dallas, I probably would still take Tampa because I don't trust two guys Dak Prescott, or Mike McCarthy. I don't trust Mike McCarthy and his clock management, his decision-making, and speaking of decision-making, I don't trust Dak Prescott. Uh, Jerry Jones was on the fan down in uh, Dallas. He does a weekly appearance on one of the talk shows down there and said that that Dak Prescott just doesn't like turning the football over. It's in Dak's DNA not to turn the ball over. Uh, His famous story that I often repeat is that he said more often than not, when his mother saw him in the kitchen, she'd say, remember, no turnovers. <laughs> and so uh, oh he's grown up thinking like that. And and uh, uh, so uh, I have all the confidence in the world that uh, uh, he, as a player, uh, has uh, all the right balance of, uh, of confidence or all the right balance of uh, aggressiveness as it pertains to a turnover. He understands turnover better than all of us put together. Well, he should understand turnovers better than all of us put together because here's a fun fact. Play the very first part about the DNA thing for me, please, Kira. It's in Dak's DNA not to turn the ball over. Okay. No, it is. that is a lie because then we need to get his DNA checked if you believe that. That's Siri Jones, the senile owner of the Dallas Cowboys. Um Dak Prescott led the National Football League in interceptions this year. So if it's in his DNA not to turn the ball over, his 15 picks led the NFL. Here is a trivia nugget for you if you're into Dallas fun facts. 
With his 15 turnovers this year, Dak Prescott became the very first quarterback in the history of the National Football League to lead the league in interceptions while missing five games. That is an amazing stat. Because he got hurt earlier this year, of course, Cooper Rush went like 4-1. and one, And Dak still was able to lead the NFL in turnovers, in interceptions. Way to go, Dak. You know, I jokingly, when, when Dak's ankle went sideways a couple of seasons ago, and the entire, I've never seen the outpouring of love for a single player or a single athlete like the sports world reacted to Dak Prescott. Because... Everybody knew he was about to get the mega contract, get paid, and it would be set for life. Not that his money was small, but he was a fifth-round pick. Like, we were not talking about a guy who was a first-round pick and made $20 million his first couple of years in the NFL. But when his ankle broke, I, I hate the Cowboys. I loathe the Cowboys, all right? I hate Jimmy Johnson. I think Troy Aikman is a mediocre broadcaster. I don't like Michael Irvin. Emmett Smith is the most overrated running back in the history of the NFL. All right. I love Don Beebe for what he did to Nate Newton. Was that, no, that was, was that Nate Newton or was that uh, somebody's going to message me? It's fine. I'll think of it. It'll wake me up in the middle of the night. Leon Lett. That's who it was. Leon Lett. Where was I going with this? Oh, and even I felt bad when I saw Dak's ankle go sideways. And I jokingly, jokingly up until that, inner, that, uh, that injury happened, I said, boy, I sure hope they pay Dak Prescott because that guy comes up so small in big games. And as a Packer fan, I'm sure as any fan of a team in the NFC, particularly if you're a fan of a team in the NFC East, you were so happy to see Dak Prescott getting all this big-time contract talk. And then his ankle broke, and you're like, oh, man, okay, he should get paid. I hope he gets paid. Just for him, his family's future, all that stuff. But there is not a big-time paid quarterback I trust less, not named Kirk Cousins, less than Dak Prescott. Because Dak Prescott comes up small in big games a lot. Now, I say this, and watch, he's going to throw for 350 and four touchdowns on Monday night, and I'm going to have a big bowl of crow to go with my Viking crow because I think the Giants are going to win that game. But I love that they paid him huge money. Now, that money gets smaller every year because $40 million a year isn't what it was two years ago, and when the cap goes up next year, $40 million will be even smaller. But Dak Prescott's not a big-time quarterback, at least to this point. Dak Prescott has not shown you he can win big-time games, and Mike McCarthy has not shown you he can win big-time games without Aaron Rodgers. So I think both those guys have a, will continue to come up small. I'll take the GOAT over on the other side. Give me Tom Brady, even 45-year-old Tom Brady, who doesn't look the same, and this will be the end of Mike McCarthy and what Mike McCarthy does there in, after you know his couple of seasons in Dallas. I think he's going to be gone. But I'll tell you, Marcus Spears from ESPN does not agree, doesn't think that th when they lose, if they lose, doesn't think this is the end of Mike McCarthy in Dallas. Everybody is under this premise that Sean Payton is just gung-ho about coming back to Dallas. May be true. I don't believe it is. All right? So let's go here. Jerry Jones, 80. You just he said he's staring his mortality. You said he's staring his mortality in the face. So now you're yes, going to start over? with another coach that you you are going to absolutely have no idea if this next coach is going to put you over the hump. Everybody is under the assumption that it's Sean Payton that's going to come in. Okay, let's say it's Sean Payton. Sean Payton won one Super Bowl with Drew Brees. I think Sean Payton a hell of a coach. I know Sean. I think Sean X's and O's offensively is one of the best that we've seen in this league. 
He got one with a Hall of Fame quarterback. Guess who Mike McCarthy got one with? A Hall of Fame quarterback. It's true. But I'll tell you what, if you give me Sean Payton in any of these coaching vacancies that are out there, whether it's Denver or soon-to-be Dallas, <laughs> uh, whether it's Denver or Arizona or Houston or whatever, those offenses will become better. It might not be for eight weeks of the regular season or even a full year, but those offenses will get better. And I believe Dallas's offense will get better with Sean Payton in there. And they've got Dan Quinn as their defensive coordinator. Give the guy a raise unless Quinn's going to get, you know, some some looks as a head coach, which is entirely possible. You know, once Dallas gets eliminated Monday night, Dan Quinn's probably going to be allowed to start talking to some of these teams that are looking for a head coach. Now, he sucked as a head coach in Atlanta when he got his very first coaching job after being such a successful Legion of Boom defensive coordinator in Seattle. That Dallas defense can be good, but right now they're really, really banged up. So what does this mean for, for Dan Quinn and the defense? ESPN's Mina Kimes. I am very worried about Tampa's deep ball versus this Dallas secondary. A deep ball that was really hit or miss for much of the season, but seeing the way Tom Brady and Mike Evans closed the season uh, with that incredible performance, it, to me, in Week 17, has to strike fear in the heart of Cowboys fans because this is a secondary that is banged up. Cornerback group that outside of Trevon Diggs has a lot of weaknesses. Uh, over the last two months of the season, they were the second-worst team in the NFL versus deep passes. So if Brady can sustain what we saw throwing to Mike Evans and also getting the ball quickly as he does, that would be a worry for me for the Cowboys defense, which is entirely dependent on his pass rush getting home. Sam Howell scored points on this Dallas defense last week. Sam Howell, a rookie in his first start for that Washington Commanders team. And Trayvon Diggs is the greatest hit and miss overrated big-time corner in the National Football League, all right? I, I I worry about that Dallas defense as well. I mean, one game of Brady to Mike Evans is not a season make, does not restore a connection. But if Dallas, listen, Dallas needs to go do what they do well, and that is run the ball with Tony Pollard and Zeke Elliott. I know Tampa's defense is stout up front, but figure out a way to get those guys in space, take some shots, hit C.D. Lamb, and they can win this game. But I'm not betting against the GOAT at home. Give me the Buccaneers. And then Mike McCarthy will be out of a job. And I don't know what he does after that. All right, coming up, a big-time change coming to baseball. It's happening at the AAA level, which means you know because it was A-level last year, and it's coming to AAA level this year. It's the story that really I don't think people are talking about quite yet, but it's going to interest you if you're a baseball fan here on a cold January day in Des Moines, Iowa. We'll do that next year on 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. Follow us on Twitter at ESPN DSM. This is Wicket's World on 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. One hundred two one FM, thirteen fifty ESPN Des Moines. I'm Mike Wicket. This is Wicket's World. All right. So, uh, if you have not seen this story, hold on one second. All right. If you have not seen this story, 
this came across my feed the other day, and I was a little surprised because I did not. Um, I there's this whole idea in baseball of balls and strikes and the human element. Okay, and if you're um, if you're an old school person, you love the human element in baseball, right? Isn't that one of the things that you love about baseball? Is oh, it's it's a thing. And then there's the new school people who are always like, "Well, we need we need robot umpires." Well, guess what's coming? Robot umpires. Now, this has already happened in the Class A Southeast League. They did this last year. But coming here in 2023, and this is particularly important to those that are here in Des Moines, and I'm trying to find out which version they are getting, and I don't know if we know which version they are getting. But the iCubs will be one of these Class A, I'm sorry, Class AAA parks. They're going to get one of two automatic ball and strike systems, commonly referred to as ABS. Here's how this is going to work. There are two different ways this is going to work. So if you're a fan of robot umpires, if you're a fan of getting it right, people who hate replay will probably hate this. But I don't know. Maybe. It'll be interesting to see. Because this, this story, this story right here, is going to get buried because of the NFL playoffs. But I think it's more important than that. Okay? I think it's an important story. So one way for automatic balls and strikes to come to baseball near you, and I'm still waiting to find out if anybody at the iCubs can tell me which one they're getting is, there's going to be cameras on the plate at all the different angles. And if the ball touches any part of the strike zone, the umpire, the human umpire behind the plate will get a tone in their ear that'll say ball or strike. It'll say strike. And if it's a ball, they'll hear a different tone. And then the umpire will call ball, strike one, whatever. So literally, the umpire behind the dish will have no calls. You're an angel Hernandez cannot butcher any more games you are going to be watching. All right? which I think is kind of cool. So that's one version they're going to be doing. And the other version of automatic balls and strikes is with a challenge system. Pitcher throws, umpire, as normal, will call with cameras on the dish, by the way, with cameras completely on the dish. And the umpire will call games as normal. Ball, strike, ball, strike. The batter the pitcher, and the catcher will each get three challenges per game on a strike or a ball. So if you're the batter and you thought a ball was low that was actually called a strike, you can challenge it. If you're a catcher, you can challenge whatever. If you're a pitcher, you can challenge. If you thought that thing touched the corner and the umpire didn't agree, you can challenge it. So then they'll go look and see what the robot said. I, I'm fascinated by all of this. Now, this went on, again, in the Class A Southeast League. And the feedback, according to ESPN's Buster Olney, was positive. With some of the industry beginning that this 
is going to be the first step into utilizing ball strike technology. Now, again, this is going to go on at every AAA park, including Principal Park in downtown Des Moines. And it could be the very first step or the latest step into implementing this into the major league level, which would be a real surprise to me if they actually did this. I mean, baseball generally knows they've got to start making some changes. I would think baseball knows they have to start making some changes because the NFL is king and it's not even close. I think I saw of the 100 most watched TV television events last year, 80 of them were the NFL or college football, 80. And I think only one of them was like the college football national championship. It was Bama, Georgia. Like, of course, that's what you expect to be the most watched college football game of the year. I think the Kentucky Derby was in there. Something soccery was in there. Probably a World Cup game or I don't know. I don't. Maybe the World Cup final. That was good, right? People like the World Cup. I don't don't ask me about soccer. I hate soccer. I tried. Don't get mad. I still love you. And then uh, Joe Biden's speech last year. One of the speeches from Biden was one of the uh, most watched. But everything else is football. Everything else was the NFL. I think the now there was some. I think an NBA Finals game was in there. If I if memory serves, one of the NBA Finals games. But people are getting sick of the, you know, the there's warrior fatigue, I think, in the in the NBA. But the NFL is so high up there. And then there's Major League Baseball with a huge gap to get, even to climb into third or second behind the NBA. So they got to work on some stuff. And I don't like all the changes. I'm a little bit old school with my baseball. I don't like the fact that they're banning the, the, the shift. I think if you want to put... Six guys over in right field. That's your prerogative. If they do that, learn how to go the other way or vice versa. That's the way I feel on that. But one of the big problems people have with baseball is simply that umpires are seeing a game completely different than those of us sitting at home. Now, I will tell you, umpires have maybe the hardest job at all of sports. You have the pitch coming from the pitcher to the plate in less than half a second, you have to make a call on whether or not you saw that ball go over the plate. That's tough one time. (laughs) But now you're talking about having to do it for over 200 pitches. It's not easy. It's never been easy. We've always had problems with umpires. Every baseball fan has always had a problem with umpires. And the difference is I can sit on my couch and I can watch my Brewers play. And I can say that was a ball, and then they're going to go to the replay, and I can be right about that, or the you know whatever. I don't know if umpires are going to be if umpires are even buying into this idea, but I think it's for the betterment of baseball. And again, there are two different versions of the automatic balls and strikes robot system that's going to be put in place in all of the thirty AAA parks this year. So half of them will do. The robots get all the calls, and all the only thing that the umpire behind the plate has to do when it comes to balls and strikes is let them know what the tone was in their ear. Was it a eh, was it a beep? I don't know what the actual tones are going to be or the actual sounds are going to be, but you understand. And the other is the challenge system, or the umpire will call them as normal, and then the pitcher, the catcher, 
and the batter have three challenges. Not three per player, but from that position. And if you get one right, I think you get another challenge down the road. Kind of like in the NFL when you throw the red challenge flag, which creates a lot of interesting strategy if you're the manager. Like, when do you use it? How close does it have to be for you to challenge it? And also, from a catcher's perspective, think about this. Like, catchers, there have been some great catchers in the history of Major League Baseball who have made a career out of framing the ball. Nice guy catchers. It's just like, think about how many calls Tom Brady gets. He's great. He's a nice guy. The referees like him. How often does Tom Brady get a call that, say, Patrick Mahomes doesn't get? Because he's still a young guy. He's not Brady. Or does does he get that Justin Herbert's not going to get? Or Trevor Lawrence isn't going to get? Happens all the time, right? There are a lot of catchers that get calls because they're buddies with the umpire. Or they've been nice to the umpire. Or the umpire respects the way he plays the game. And if he frames it a little bit and he moves it half an inch in, well, he knew what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was doing. Like your boy, what's your, what's your, Kira, what's your boy's, uh, the, the finally retired catcher down there for the Cardinals? What's, <laughs> what's your guy's name? Oh, don't. The Hall of Famer. Don't do this to Yachty. me. Yachty. Yachty or Molina. <laughs> cool. Everybody loves Yachty, right? Except, yeah. Except for, if you're not a Cardinals fan, you probably don't like Yachty or Molina. No one, no one in, uh, no one in Iowa. I no don't one. love Yachty. Okay. Cool. I hate Yachty or Molina. Yeah. I mean, I hate go. him as a player. I'm sure he's a nice guy. Yada, yada. <laughs> All that stuff. <laughs> I'm not a Yachty or Molina fan, but Yachty has such a reputation with with the catcher, with the, the umpires and in Major League Baseball. And what's his name? Uh, the catch, uh, Salvador Perez. Nicest guy in the world. The catcher for the uh, for the Royals. Smile as, as ear to ear. Good dude. Probably going to get the benefit of the doubt when he frames a pitch. This could take some of that out of it. This might really change the way the catcher game is played. It's, it's such an interesting thing. Uh, by the way, we've got the winter meetings. Major League Baseball man at GMs were briefed on the ongoing efforts to shape the strike zone so that way it's more conducive for action, a.k.a. It, it's got there has to be a shape of the strike zone that is more uniform. All right? It, it just has to happen. There's more of a focus on, I don't like this, on lowering the top of the strike zone. I don't want to bring it down. It's already too low. It should be numbers to knees. That's the way it was when I was a kid in Little League. Knees to numbers. Now it's like just below. It's like where your cup is to just where your belly button is. The strike zone's only about that big right now. They want to lower it more. I don't know about that. So keep a lookout. If you're going to go to an iCubs game here in Des Moines downtown, you may see uh, you know some robot umpiring going on and some challenging that you had not seen before. And one more quick baseball note. If I would have gone back and if I could go back in a DeLorean using Doc Brown's time machine, and I would be able to tell you that coming up, say in about the year 2024, maybe 25, Las Vegas will have a Major League Baseball team, an NFL team, and an NHL team. You never would have believed me. But now, according to a couple of reports here, the Oakland A's are narrowing their stadium search in Las Vegas to the TROP, also the Vegas Festival Grounds. They're going to be building a $1 billion domed stadium, likely at the Tropicana location, the old TROP, part of the old school Vegas. Imagine that. If in the 1999, I said, guess what, 20 years from now, the Raiders 
something called the Knights, the Golden Knights, are going to be a thing, and they're going to be playing in Vegas. And the Oakland A's, one of the great franchises in the 70s and the 80s, they're going to be moving to Vegas and getting out of Oakland. It's on the way. It's going to happen. All right. Happy Friday the 13th. I see what you did. Superstition. Ah, I love this song. Crank it up. Have a good weekend.